solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, we've got another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're covering chapter 13, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw, and really cool episode. We've tried to get her on before, but we have Jen for the first time. Hello. So, uh, yeah, we've tried a couple of times to get you on the podcast. For whatever reason, it hasn't worked out yet. Yep. But I'm really happy we have you on today. It's a couple of cool chapters. Uh, She's going to be coming back for chapter 14, so that's really cool. Um, So, Jen, as we do with all of our new guests, (laughs) what had you fall in love with Harry Potter, made you like Harry Potter? Um, I always thought it it was a compelling story because it was from the perspective of someone who didn't know anything about like the wizarding world and I feel like a lot of times when you're dealing with fantasy settings or books or movies um, usually you're put in the middle of it into mm-hmm. a world that you're kind of expected to know things about or there's a, a deep lore and, and there are all of those things in Harry Potter but we're seeing some outsider's perspective of being immersed in it as well I like it I like it I know you mentioned in kind of our pre-episode talk that you have some house ticks. Yes. So we'll save the most of those for the spoiler section here, just in case. But <laughs> what house do you identify with? Um, it's, it's a hard question for me. Um, I feel like it's probably... I feel like I have a lot of different qualities and a lot of different houses. And the very first time I took the Pottermore quiz, it came up with Slytherin. So I've always We've never had a slither on the podcast. This is exciting. (laughs) So I've always kind of defaulted to that. um, But I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. I have have a lot of thoughts about that. All right. Cool. Well, that's exciting that we might actually have a a slither on the podcast for the first time. That's cool. (laughs) That being said, (laughs) as this chapter title gives us not that much talk about slither Gryffindor and Ravenclaw at the front, front spot. Um... Again, you could probably infer from the title that this is a whole lot of Quidditch. Yes. But um, it does kind of start with a interesting dynamic that we have. Uh, Harry notes that this might be the end of Ron and Hermione's friendship. <laughs> we're, I guess we're past halfway now in book three, but still, it seems early in the series to have a friendship kind of yeah. created, really cemented, and then fall <laughs> apart. And over what seems like a really, I don't want to say the death of a pet isn't a, you know, right. deal breaker. Right. But it seems like a relatively trivial thing to end a whole friendship on. Yes. It, it's a very dramatic uh, response by both of them. Yes. To it. Um, it is a little bit, it, it, it's hard because I, at least to where, where we currently are, up to chapter 13, I... I can understand I sympathize with both of them yes you know? yeah Ron is really frustrated he feels like Hermione hasn't been taking him seriously I think that that is sort of playing into this dynamic of he feels minimized and not heard mm-hmm. in this that he was concerned about her cat and she didn't really listen on the other Ron's never really shown any interest in the rat 
Um, he's complained about it on numerous occasions. Uh, I kind of agree with uh, Fred and George when they bring that up and, and they kind of mock, uh, eulogize Scabbers a bit where he has a scar on, uh, was it Goyle or, or Crab's finger? Goyle's, I believe, yeah. Yes. You know, let that be a, a testament to his memory. So yeah. I'm kind of with them on that. I don't really, I don't, I don't understand Ron's deep attachment to Scabbers at this point. Well, we've gotten a lot of Scabbers in this book. Yes. Uh, we've very, very rarely heard anything about him in books one and two, but this book we're getting a whole lot. Um, but yeah, so we kind of stop, we start there and it's, <laughs> I put down like, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object with this kind of like no one's winning in this. Yes. And it kind of like you said, you kind of agree with both at points. It's like, Hermione, you kind of need to be a little bit more sympathetic here. Yes. Also, Ron, you're going a little bit above and beyond the anger level that you should probably be at. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a back and forth thing. But anyway, moving past the friendship drama, which there always seems to be some friendship drama, uh, we get... Uh, everybody gushing over the fireball the the morning or the the evening before and the morning of the Quidditch match. Uh, you get Madame Hooch who has to watch over their practice um, for safety concerns. Um, always good to get a Madame Hooch reference. We don't get many of them. I was gonna say I, I liked this scene because it had sort of a like back in my day kind of feel where she yeah, was like talking about all these broomsticks. But it was nice to get her into it. You know, she's always a background character. I know she... This is really the most extensive you know. yeah. monologue she gives us outside yeah. of the flying lessons, I guess. But yeah. Uh, yeah, she gives a nice little mini breakdown of brooms and differences between the brooms. And uh, yes, then she has her back in my day right. moment. It's, it's a nice glimpse into, you know, just a little bit of her history, right? Like, it's a nice reminder of, like, these characters do have depths. We just don't necessarily yes, see them all the time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then she promptly falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just great. We get our mention of the breakdown of the Ravenclaw Quidditch team, which includes Seeker Cho Chang. Uh, we'll talk about her later. <laughs> um, but, yeah, now, before we go on, I just have to say, I, I gotta say and admit I almost forgot that this chapter completely existed. <laughs> like, everything I read, I was like, oh, that did happen. Yep. Like, oh, that, wow, that they're mentioned here, they're mentioned there. I completely forgot this chapter existed almost, but that's, you know, my admission. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, yeah, Harry, uh, so when they actually meet on the Quidditch pitch... Harry's got kind of this nervous excitement for just using the firebolt for the first time. Yep. And then he notices Cho Chang for the first time and takes particular notice that she is quite pretty and gets a really uneasy feeling in his stomach that's not related to the match he's about to play. I thought that was cute. This is the, like, the first time Harry's ever really commented mm -hmm. on a girl's, I guess, appearance or the way, you know, that girl has made him feel. Yeah. Which is just kind of an interesting thing to take note of. Uh, but anyway, so... Now, one of the things, real quick, before we move on to yeah. the next point, that I also thought was interesting. When I was reading this chapter, I was kind of excited that it was a Quidditch chapter, because I know we tend to talk sports a lot. So I thought, okay, this is like Harry Potter sports, we can come into it and talk. And one of the things that stuck out to me on rereading this is I like that 
or I, I disagree with something Wood says, right? So Wood is always looking for a competitive advantage wherever he can get it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, he's complaining at one point in this about how apparently Cho had been injured, but yeah. now she's back from injury, so you know he's upset that she's back from it. And I thought that was... It seems to be a very divisive sports mentality of either you want to get every break that you possibly can in every scenario, or there's another mentality of wanting to win against the best, right? And I feel like Harry might be a little bit more into that mindset where Wood wants every advantage. I feel like Harry would feel better if he were against everyone at full strength he, and winning. Yeah, he takes a little bit more of the Cedric Diggory approach, mm -hmm. where if we go back a couple of chapters to when they played Hufflepuff, and Harry had his Dementor moment and fell, and Diggory comes to him and was like, you know, I, tr I tried. I yeah. tried to get a rematch because I didn't think that was a fair win. Yeah. Kind of like that fair sportsmanship thing. Yeah, I agree. There's a little bit of a difference between Wood and, and Harry there. Also, uh, this podcast is based in the Chicagoland area. Jen lives in the city. Check out her Instagram for the picture <laughs> of Jen that we were putting on there. But she's a little sensitive to injuries on sports teams right now. Yes. Uh, her beloved White Sox... <laughs> Not doing so hot in the injury department. No. Uh, there's a White Sox aside for you. Uh, sorry to all of our listeners in the UK who have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There's a definite difference there. And you can kind of tell. Uh, I think Oliver Wood almost wants to. He doesn't say he wants to kick Harry off the team because of his Dementor issue. But he but skates he that of, line yeah. really closely. Yeah. yeah, he's walking that line pretty well. But he, as well as everyone, seems to be just in awe of the Firebolt, mm -hmm. uh, which we see kind of in the Great Hall the morning of the match. Um, Diggory comes over and congratulates Harry on the Firebolt. I love that moment because that's so very Hufflepuff of him. It's a very Hufflepuff moment. It's like, wow, this is going to ruin our chances for the House Cup. Yeah. You know, whatever. It's more like, a, man, that's a great broom. You're going to be awesome on that. That's, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> Malfoy... The interaction between Malfoy and Harry here, I believe, is just top-notch. I love that... It's probably a little... Uh, it is a rude comment, given Harry's you know, reaction to the mentors that Malfoy doesn't really know about. Yeah. But still, I kind of laughed a little bit when he was like, oh, you know, I hear the fireball has a lot of cool features. Too bad it doesn't have a parachute for you. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. To which Harry responds... Too bad yours doesn't have extra arms so we can catch the snitch I, for you. I love that comeback. It's a great comeback. It's like a great one-liner to start yep. and a great comeback to the one. It's great. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it a, a, it's a devastating comeback. It's so. great. But it's, it's, it's also just so, like, it's clearly two 13-year-old boys. Yeah. Just yeah. Go, like, I love it. I thought it was very well written. Yeah, it's it was very good. much just like, yeah, this, this does feel like high school. <laughs> yes, it does a little bit. Yeah. No, it was it was a good one-two punch. I really enjoyed it. Um, I also enjoyed uh, at the match Lee Jordan's announcing. It's he's if there was ever a person born to do that job. Yes. Lee Jordan. Hundred percent. Oh, he's so good at it. He's um, he's so colorful. He's so, I mean, obviously knowledgeable because he keeps turning into an ad for the Firebolt. Which. I, I, okay, I get McGonagall's point of like, really? You're doing this again? Are right. you literally paid to do this? Um, but like a couple of little tidbits about the Firebolt is just good background for the match. You know, yeah. that's fine. I, I don't see anything <laughs> wrong with that. Continuing to do it over and over again, maybe. But. 
anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty well-contested match. There's there's one moment that I also noticed with Wood, um, mm. and I kind of want to... Uh, I'll touch on this, I think, a little bit later when we have a little bit more in-depth conversation about houses, but I feel like Wood has a very Slytherin moment Ooh. Oh, okay. Where he yells at Harry. Cho is, is, you know, trying to tail him and trying to cut him off and everything, and he just screams at Harry, knock her off her broom. It's an interesting take. And, I like that uh, take. Yeah, so I feel like he's got a bit of a Slytherin streak in him, so... Anything to win. One of the, right, he's, Anything he's to win. very single-minded. He wants to win at any cost. He'll take any advantage he can get. So it was just an interesting, uh, you know, it's legal in Quidditch. Technically, he's not doing anything, I don't think, against the rules. Right. But it's not necessarily the most sportsmanship approach to... No, I agree with you. That's an interesting take. That's a cool take. I, I never thought of the the slither inside of Oliver Wood before. Yeah. That's an interesting take. I think he would fight you tooth and nail on that. I'm sure he would. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Anna would, too. Uh, <laughs> but, no, it was a, it was a well-contested match. Yeah. Like you just alluded to, it's very tightly contested. Uh, the Ravenclaws have... Shocking that the Ravenclaws would have, like, a strategy. Right. But, it, was, it was a clever strategy, too. I mean, they clearly... I mean, they're a clever house, so that's not surprising, but, right. you know... They essentially have Cho tailing Harry right. as closely as she possibly can throughout the uh, entirety of the match, which Harry picks up on at some point and starts doing some maneuvers that he knows she can't follow, given her broom, which right. I think they mentioned was like a clean sweep, something, something. Comet 260. Comet 260, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a couple of notches down from what he's flying on. So I enjoyed the idea of them kind of scheming a strategy to... I liked that it was an additional layer of strategy to it because yeah. i feel like we get a lot of it from harry's perspective where there's not always a strategy necessarily for the seeker i mean he definitely has moments where you know this is clearly something that is so there there clearly are strategy plays for seekers mm -hmm. but typically when we see him he's just kind of circling above waiting for the snitch to appear yep so it was kind of nice to have an additional and they showed there. like uh that the ravenclaw team is particularly talented just with, because uh, the beaters actually almost took out Harry and stopped him from right. grabbing the snitch. Um, and Cho has to be a good flyer if she's able to maneuver to tail him or to try to cut him off. I think it's an, I, I do like that point of this is a really strategic game. Yes. It's not even that the Ravenclaw beaters were trying to necessarily hit Harry, distract him for a little second, lose yep. sight of the snitch, maybe force him a different direction so he can not get it. It's... I don't know. If, you, if you're really into Quidditch strategy, yeah, right. this is a match that you might want to, like, take notes on. Um, um, Quidditch is a real thing. Go out and play it. <laughs> it's a sport. So this, this entire match, though, it also led me to think of something else, mm -hmm. which I guess you could argue could have also come up in the previous books when he gets his Nimbus 2000, and then when Malfoy's dad buys everyone the Nimbus 2001s. Mm -hmm. Isn't it a little bit unfair that... Like, I, I understand the logistically the students should have their own broomsticks to practice. Isn't it a little bit unfair that it's not a little bit more regulated or mandated or so it's, there's not as much of a dispar disparity between? So it's like a, like a almost to win at Hogwarts Quidditch. It's a have or have not kind of. Right. It That's starts, fair. It sort of gives that impression. And I know that we're, I mean, it's obviously great for Harry to get it. It was tragic what happened. It was Nimbus 2000. It's, you know, we're, we are rooting for Harry in this. And, and you understand, you know, it's yeah. also this thing of, like, 
he was mistreated his whole life. You want him to have something good, right? Like, you want him to feel good. You want him to have something good. But it's kind of, it's a little bit unfair to the other students. No, you're right. It'd be interesting to see how the houses all do if they were all on clean sweep sevens or something like that. Right. Like, you all get one broom. Right. Skill only. Go. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Or even like a even like a tier, right? Because the impression is kind of that the clean sweeps and comets are on a different level necessarily than like the Nimbus and the fireboats, right. obviously. Like I, at a at a bare minimum, it feels a little bit unfair that he just got the brand new an interesting covetous point. broom. I never thought about regulating the brooms, <laughs> especially well when you consider that they make a big deal a couple of times that the firebolt is the broom for the World Cup teams. Like all of right. the World Cup teams have decided that the firebolt is their broom of choice right um so you're literally having harry on a professional broom right it's like me entering uh a race but having like a nascar (laughs) race right or something like that it it seems a little bit disjoint i guess yeah yeah no i I, that's a good point that i'd never thought of yeah but also then to also argue well not necessarily against myself but to also point one other thing that i just thought of Fred and George then must be really talented because the Weasleys don't typically have a lot of money to spend. I think they are on old grooms, but they are incredible beaters by everyone's account. Yeah. So. No, that's, and Oliver Wood's a good goalie, yeah. and obviously the Gryffindor's competitive as you know, chasers and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, it's a talented team. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, like, yeah, if everybody was using the same broom, what would that shake out for? Right. So... That's a good question. I don't think the Gryffindors really care about the, the details. They just care that they won. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. everybody storms the field <laughs> after Harry like just barely gets his hand around a snitch. Yes. After having to do the Expecto Patronum charm. Because uh, he thought he saw three Dementors on the, the pitch. And everybody's like, oh, we won, we won, we won. And then Lupin just comes over and he's like, that was a particularly nice Patronus charm. Well done. I love that. And Harry's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I saw three. They didn't even affect me. And Lupin's like, that's because they weren't Dementors. I love how proud of himself he is in that moment. Yes. And then Lupin, in a rare moment so far in this book, just kind of, like, knocks him down a peg. It's like, well, that would be because they weren't. Yeah. Uh, They weren't even a bogger. (laughs) So um, we find out Malfoy, Goyle, Crab, and Flint um, were all under some black robes posing as Dementors to try to freak out Harry. Shockingly, McGonagall did not take this well. I, you know, she's always up for antics, so... I would love to see Snape try to get them out of this with McGonagall. I can imagine that not going well. No. Um... I thought that was a pretty, uh... It was funny because they clearly don't understand... Like it's such a it's such a juvenile thing to do, right? Like you see someone react to something, but you don't understand why they're reacting to it, but you're still trying to trick them. It's, it's like, such a like. Where did they think this was gonna go? Right. Like, if Harry had freaked out, <laughs> let's say, and the match was lost, do they not think that they're gonna like get away with this? Like, what are they thinking there? Yeah. Like Dumbledore is gonna be ticked. McGonagall's gonna be ticked. Like. And I'm not surprised. I don't think that there was much forethought into that other than let's just terrify Harry. And I understand why Crabbe and Goyle went along with it. Why did Flint go along with it? 
I'm more like, where was Malfoy's head at? Because Crab, Goyle, and Flint don't ever strike me as the brightest bulbs in the box. Malfoy does have a brain in his head. Yeah. Like, he knows. He should know the consequence here. Right. He's not an idiot. Malfoy is the kind of guy that would be like, I was just pranking you. Like, it's not a big deal. He'd try to talk his way out of it. Like, he would 100% try to talk his way out of it. But Flynn is is older. Flynn's the captain. That's true. What is Flynn? Like, this is such a Does he not think, like, messing with a Quidditch match would be like... Right, exactly. You're right. You're definitely right there. Yeah. No, I agree with you, though. I mean, he's not the brightest bulb. (laughs) They do establish that. Like, that's a totally fair point. But it was just funny because he doesn't typically... Malfoy doesn't typically have that much influence, but I guess he does. I guess so, but yeah, if I'm Malfoy, I'm like, where where exactly are you going with this? I don't this? think he had an endgame. <laughs> no, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so anyway, the resulting win um, ends up in a massive party at the Gryffindor Tower where Fred and George clearly stole things from Honeydukes. Okay, so I, I saw that you put that in the outline. Clearly. I don't think so. How are they paying for all of that? You don't know that they didn't like fundraise for it. You don't know that they didn't like go around the party and they were like, if everyone can just chip in. Fundraising for it. Couple sickles, we'll take care of it, don't worry. I, while I think Fred and George would be wonderful fundraisers. Yes. It just strikes me that I don't think they were fundraising for but this. But how, it's not, I don't know that it's in their character to steal. Typically. I get, I get that point. It's just, I don't see them fundraising and they know the secret passageway how are they stealing it though because they don't have an invisibility cloak like harry oh they've they've been they've been doing it for years without an invisibility cloak stealing no getting into honeydukes okay (laughs) no right getting into honeydukes for sure but wouldn't someone notice that they were lifting they're mischievous individuals they are and they probably don't steal they're smart enough to probably steal a thing at a time not like five, ten, fifteen things where somebody's just going to be like, where'd that box of chocolates go? You know what I mean? Yeah. They're smart enough to not overshoot their boundaries. I don't know. It just struck, because obviously they couldn't pay for it. Unless they fundraised. Unless they fundraised. Unless they went around the party and they were like, let's... You know what we should do is come up with a Fred and George fundraising scheme that I think we should figure that out. I don't know. One of us will come up with it. I'm fine with that. I just, I, I, I agree that it looks bad. It I looks just, like, I, super suspicious. I just, my heart can't accept that they stole it. So I'm just going to headcanon that like, they had a little jar that they asked people for at a party. Do wizards have like I could just see them like, coming, like, what would they do? They can't exactly like, would they wash brooms? <laughs> or would they like, like, you know, like car washes? Oh no, I'm totally something thinking, like that? oh, like outside for of fun, this? Yes, or? like fundraising bits. See, I was thinking, in my head, it's like, you know, everyone's cool. At the college parties that you go to. Oh, I got you. You kind I'm of. I'm picking up uh, what you're putting down. Yeah. You know. I get that. So, uh, that was what I had in So you're head. thinking, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So are you thinking, like, they actually did buy legit things. Yes. And then just upcharged. Yes. And just kind of made money and kind of cycled through that way? Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. I could buy that. Okay. Okay. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, McGonagall ends up shutting down this party uh, per McGonagall. And then we get some shenanigans uh, where Ron wakes up screaming, wakes up the entire house. 
They all flood back into the, the common room, to which Fred, in very Fred fashion, goes, Oh, excellent, we're carrying on then. I love it. I love it too. That's great. Um, but Ron's trying to tell everybody that he was attacked and attacked by Sirius Black. And no one believes him. And McGonagall comes back in, admonishes Percy for letting this whole thing get out of hand, uh, which, you know, just gets him at his soul. Oh, yeah, that, like... That never... really cut deep. Yeah. But anyway, they keep telling her about this, and then she eventually decides, all right, I know the way to figure this out. I'll go to the portrait and just ask, did you let in a man? To which Sir Cadigan goes, oh, yeah, he knew the passwords. Every password for, like, the month or the week or whatever it was. <laughs> and we find out that poor Neville... Poor Neville. ...wrote down all of the passwords and happened to lose them. Uh, to which Sirius assumedly found <laughs> and then used. Brilliant. You'd think they would have given Sir Cadigan a picture of Black. Yes. To be like, I don't care if he uses the passwords or not, don't let this guy right. in. Or maybe more clear instructions. I mean, he's also not the brightest portrait on the wall, <laughs> I guess. That's fair. Uh, That's a new idiom now. He's not the brightest portrait on the wall. I guess. Um, we'll go with it. But yeah, you'd think that just some further instruction would... Yeah. I mean, technically, he was doing his job. Technically, he's correct. But practically, he is wrong. Yeah, I don't think he's going to have this job for very much longer. So, you know. Anyway. Uh, um, that's pretty much the, the chapter in a nutshell. So we'll probably pause here, and then we'll get to some spoiler thoughts. I know Jen has a lot of thoughts on some previous episodes and chapters, and, and also come back for the house talk that we have. So yeah. we'll be right back. You! You foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach! All right, we're back with the spoiler section. And uh, before Jen gets to her house breakdown uh, that she wants to get to, uh, I just wanted to note that we now have the four seekers of all four houses. Yes. Obviously, we have Harry for Gryffindor, Malfoy for Slytherin, Diggory for Hufflepuff, which we got in this book, and Chang for Ravenclaw. We also have quite the setup to Goblet of Fire now with the little triangle that ensues with Diggory, Chang, and Harry and how that all comes together. I really did not remember at all that Cho Chang was introduced in this chapter. I kind of forgot that he kind of had a crush on her. Before? Before all yeah. of it happened. I, d I definitely remembered it, obviously, afterwards and the failed first date and all of the emotional impact of... You know, how putting she's it kindly. Handling it. Right. <laughs> That's fair. But, uh, yeah, but I, I completely forgot. He kind of had a crush on her before. I mean, we, we see he's the first girl that he's ever actually... Like, crushed on? Yeah. Yeah, and it... I agree. It kind of caught me as like, wow, they set it that up early. Yeah. Uh, like, clearly JK had some, some thoughts going forward for this, so... But yeah, we get the, the Diggory, the Cho Chang, and Harry in this, you know, in this book and in the last couple of chapters. So that's kind of a cool one, two, three mention. Yeah, we have a much broader picture now of what the Quidditch teams look like. At least the Seekers, because apparently no one cares about Chasers. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, four Seekers for four houses. And now... Yes. What house thoughts do you have? All right. I 
I have a lot of problems with the Hogwarts house system. And Do tell. I think that some of this definitely did not stem from the first few times that I read the books, but more so came from when Pottermore came out and everyone was really excited to go on Pottermore and find out their house and you know, it only let you take it one time, you know, it blocked you out from doing it. And most of my friends got Ravenclaw. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, that's how everyone's personalities fit together. And You know I, a lot of smart people. That's fair. <laughs> and then I also know you. No, okay. Oh! I, you set me up. I, Boom! I, I, right, I right. Um, No, and then I took it and I got Slytherin. And I remember feeling very conflicted about it because there are definitely some qualities that they emphasize for Slytherin. There's ambition, there's leadership, there's self-preservation. Those are all things I feel like I have to some degree. So it was like, okay, on one hand, I understand why it put me in Slytherin. On the other hand, when I went back and I reread these books with that in mind, um, one of the things when I consume any kind of media, whether it's TV shows or movies or books or anything, is I like to have something to relate to. I like to have a character who, you know, preferably a female character, um, but I like to have someone I can kind of see aspects of myself sure. in or someone I can root for. Like, I'm a big Hermione fan because she's a strong, smart girl in yeah. Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ginny is cool, but I, I don't relate to Ginny in the same way as I kind of relate to Hermione because I was never, you know, a, really that into sports. You know, Ginny's much more of like a tomboy. Hermione's a little bit on the quieter side, right? So it's like sure. I relate more to Hermione. So I like having things that I can look at, characters I can look for. It makes my consumption of that media more enjoyable. Sure. When you reread these books from the perspective of looking for anything redeeming about Slytherin... You're telling me you don't identify with Pansy Parkinson? <laughs> right. She is not at the top of my list. <laughs> Millicent Bulstrode, also <laughs> not high on my list. Come on! Um, there is, not only is there zero, are there like zero good characters, or like, at best you're getting gray Slytherins. And you don't even get the gray Slytherins until you're already in like... I don't know, book six? Book it does seven. take a while to find some redeeming characters. It's it's brutal. And not only that, like, it's it's one level to... Because then, you know, I also understand the argument of, like, we're seeing this from Harry's eyes. We're seeing this... So, also true. From a Gryffindor. A little bit of a biased source. Total yeah. bias. Totally understandable. But even the adults in these books, especially early on, are against Slytherin. Like, there's a almost a, a three houses against one bias in you could argue books. that's from the beginning right like, like no, right. with exactly. the founders it, it, it's been like it, a three-on-one kind of thing it absolutely goes back to the founders and there and there are a couple things you know where they talk about you know hagrid says early on in the first books where he's like you know no there's never been a witch or wizard who who was evil that didn't come out of slytherin and that does end up being broken down the line right Pettigrew is not exactly a man of high moral standing and he was a gryffindor so it's like that's not a, a hard rule but it's pretty damn near most of the time. Yeah. I'm not about to go on a, a Snape redeem Slytherin thing because <laughs> I don't believe that's wholly true. It's... Uh, the best example of a Slytherin that I can come up with from this series is Slughorn. Yes, he has his very Slytherin negative characteristics. I always say, like, all of the houses have good positive characteristics and they all have negative characteristics yes 
even Hufflepuff. Yes. Um, but Slughorn, I think when it matters most, he steps up to the plate. Um, we never see him do anything aggressively self-serving that I can recall off the top of my head right now. Um, it's not... To- I mean, it, aggressive is... I don't know how you would define it. I mean, his, his slug club is very uh, about boosting himself and boosting his connections. Sure, and but then, that's not, like, evil. Well, I mean, his denial of what he actually had as a conversation with... That's Riddle self-preserving. Is, a, ...is very much to, almost too... There's, like, a psychological thing there, too, of, like, I gave right. the Dark Lord, like, what he needed. Like, right. oh, my... And he's trying to bury that as deep within himself. Right. For himself, not necessarily because it's anybody else. Yeah. He's only able to confront that when he's guilted with the fact that one of his favorite students died. Yeah. Which is difficult, because... There's a deep psychological background to that, though. Which we can delve into more in... In six, right, uh, which is one of your favorite books, if I'm it not is. mistaken. I yeah? love six. Six is my favorite. I feel like that's shocking news, and it's we shouldn't really gloss <laughs> over that. Jen just said her favorite book in the series was Half Blood Prince. Yes, I don't know many people who would choose that book. Really? Yeah, I find that interesting. I find it interesting as well. Right. So, um, obviously, we we're gonna have you back a whole bunch in yes. in book six, but uh, I didn't want to gloss over that real quick. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think Slughorn is one of the few things that you can point to as a as a quote-unquote redeemer of Slytherin, but I, it's still hard because you don't get him until book six. You have five right. straight books no, of right. just Slytherin is evil, Slytherin is evil, Slytherin is evil, these people are evil, these people are out to get me, these people are making fun of me, these people are laughing at me, and it's like that. it's so hard to read the books and then be like, I feel good about Pottermore putting me in the Slytherin. <laughs> I'm surrounded by a bunch of like you know, bloodline purists and evil wizards. It's like, that's not really yeah. the company I want to keep. I'm quite certain that there are some Slytherins that have redeeming qualities that we don't ever hear about. Yeah. That aren't making fun of Harry, but they aren't making fun of Harry, so we don't hear of them. Or, you know, yeah. this or that reason. Um, adults, too. I'm sure there were more than just Slughorn um, fighting. Was I know most of the Slytherins walked out. He yeah. was one that stood up and fought, and fought the guy. Yeah. I mean, he fought Voldy himself with two others, but still. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there were others that stood... I'm sure there were many Slytherins that stood up and was like, I'm not sure to follow him. Then they were probably wiped out fairly quickly. That's fair. And I, I don't disagree that I think that there were Slytherins that did that, but my point is you can't name any. There are yeah. zero relatable Slytherin Slither- characters. To in. your point, when I was trying to do the the March Madness bracket for uh, for Slytherin, yeah, there, J.K. <laughs> there's 150 Gryffindors to choose from. Yeah, Gryffindor everywhere. Yeah, for the other three houses. Yeah, particularly Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, it's hard to just find eight solid characters with like a lot of depth. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And she doesn't really do a great service to some of those other houses. No. It's very Gryffindor dominant, which again, our main character is right. that house. And then Slytherin gets a good deal, but most of the Slytherins are you hear of terrible. are either terrible to Harry yeah. or following Boldy. Yeah. 
No, I know. Like, Ravenclaw has some good representation. It's just very, very minor. Hufflepuff kind of has some rough representation in the beginning, but then they kind of redeem themselves, and, and they're just not very developed, but there are at least, like, There's memeable a couple, characters yeah. that are, you know, Cedric Diggory is, is so such a all of this Slytherin standard. hate, so you would then like to identify as... I go back and forth on that between, I think, Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. I feel like I have more qualities of Ravenclaw, but I know that there's also the debate of does the sorting head put you where you have qualities or what you admire, and I think if it does what I admire, I'd probably be more Gryffindor because I admire the leadership ambition. Just I prefer that to be for good, not for evil, and that is, is the biggest difference kind of that they have in the books between Gryffindor and Slytherin is they do kind of make it a bit more black and white where Gryffindor is oh. bold but good and Slytherin is like bold, bold but, but bad. Evil. Gryffindor so and like, Slytherin have way more characteristics in common than anyone would actually care to admit. They really do. And yes, they tend to, you know, go off in a fork at some point. Right. Um, which defines you and that's fine. But yeah. yeah, no, they're much more similar. I have always viewed you as more of a Ravenclaw. Okay. Which also makes sense because Ravenclaw and Slytherin have always been fairly tied together. Right. Because of the ambition the other, part of right. it. Uh, and, you know, cunning and wisdom. I'm like, there's like very hairline definition differences there. Right. It's um, interesting because yeah. when I was looking that up, I noticed exactly what you're saying, which is the words that they use to describe how Slytherin views things. Shrewd, cunning. Those have a more negative connotation than something where it's wisdom or wit. The words or... just sound evil. Right. They might not inherently be right. evil, but, but they sound right. that way. Cunning is, is, you know. JK has a way with her words because yes. even when she was describing something Hermione was saying earlier in the book, it was like, Hermione said shrewdly. Hermione said, you know, and it was just, she's clearly leading you to like, Hermione is a thinker. <laughs> you, right, you, right. you know what I mean? It's just, she has a way with words. So. Yes, she does. So that's my, I, I, if the, I think that if the books had a bit more of a gray area in them, I'd be a lot more willing to, I'd, I'd be putting myself much more behind Slytherin than I am. I think your ass as a reader to interpret that gray area, You'll like find it and interpret it, which is what we're doing here. We're right. like finding that gray area and kind right. of expanding it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not really explicitly said anywhere. It's not, and I think that just makes it... I, I'm all for interpreting stuff and reading between the lines, and I think there are a lot of good points you can make for it, but in terms of like actual storyline development and actually like having relatable characters... Because some people, when they consume media, they don't need to have someone that they see themselves in, so it's like I could see for them if this is just... There's a ton of stuff to pick apart. There's a ton of you know, interactions you can look at or watch his growth over the books watch how other people change over the books but for me it's a lot more difficult because I want someone I want to know what it's like to be a Slytherin I want to know that there's someone good in Slytherin who like maybe contributes in some way in book five or book seven well you used Millicent Bolstrode as an example yeah <clears throat> and what do we really know about Millicent Bolstrode we know she's maybe not the prettiest person but oh. that's coming from Ron right that's coming from one guy's point right. of view one time in an entire series yes and we know she has a cat. And we know she has a cat, yes. Other than those two things... Well, we know that she's a bully, though. Because the whole reason that yeah. Hermione gets her hair on her is because she's got her in a chokehold from the dueling 
club. So it's like even that though the portrayal was, is still there. That was a poorly run dueling class, not necessarily. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but, you, I mean, but yeah, no, no, no. You I shouldn't be putting people in headlocks. Still, we get like very minor glimpses. Right. She could be a much more well-rounded character of a person yeah. that we just don't know because we're getting one view. And that's 100% my point, which is I don't feel like, even if you account for the bias in the viewpoint, there's still it's very hard to pick out something positive. Sure. No, I agree. Um, any other thoughts you had on some of the other episodes or some of the other chapters? So I kind of got the impression that Harry seems to kind of know his Patronus without knowing his Patronus. Oh, are you talking about the, like, the dreams? Yeah. Yeah. Very heavily hints at. Well, we, in this chapter, he, he does do a more full-bodied, real Patronus. Right. But they don't describe what it is. Correct. But his dreams hint at what it is. Yes. Which I thought was interesting, because I never picked up on that when I read it before. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very, JK does this a lot, too, of just throwaway details. Yeah. Of, like, throw it, like, announce it, and then just run right by it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she does do that a yeah. lot. That's why I thought that was cute. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, too, is I feel bad. I, all of my notes for this chapter is just poor Neville. <laughs> um, I feel really bad that he gets so hounded for writing down the passwords and leaving them around. Because we find out later he didn't actually lose the paper. Crookshank stole the paper. So yeah. he only, I mean, yeah, you could yell at him for writing them down, but it's not as egregious as they make it seem. Also, the portrait that we're talking about changes at, the, at the such time. a rapid rate yeah. that even, like, the prefects or even Percy has trouble, like, keeping up with these. Yes. You know who he is. Like, help the guy out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, I just I feel bad because putting myself in his mindset, he's kicking himself for losing it. But he didn't actually lose. It. Yeah. Defend Neville. Always defend Neville. Always defend Neville. All right, that should wrap us up for this chapter. So, um, Jen will be back for chapter fourteen, yep. which is Snape's Grudge. Which, if that's not a big time tease, um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, that'll be it for us. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. For Jen, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.